Our reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we ask you now to fill this very room with your presence. We ask you to fill it with the manifest presence of the risen Christ through his word. We ask you to speak with power and with authority and with clarity. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, to know what it means to walk by you, to be led by you, to bear the fruit of you, to keep in step with you. We long to know what this means. And so we pray you'd help us today as we study you and understand through your word what it means for you to be in us and through us for the glory and fame and name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, help me to get this text right. Help me to be a help to people who I love and who I just want to see walk in righteousness. So to that end, use today to incrementally make all of us more like Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I found a wonderful quotation this week in J.I. Packer's book called Keep in Step with the Spirit, a book we offer in the the resource uh, table out in the commons area, a book I would commend to you. He talks about what it means to walk by the Spirit, and in the context of that book, he shares a quotation by Robert Murray McChain, a a Scottish pastor in the 1800s who was renowned for his passionate, tear-filled preaching, his uh, reading plan through the Bible that you can use on a yearly basis, the one I'm trying to use right now, and as well for his death at age 29. Short life, passionate life, man greatly used of God. Here's what McChain said, Lord, make me as holy as it is possible for a saved sinner to be. Do you resonate with that statement? I hope you do. Lord, make me as holy as it is possible for a saved sinner to be. You know what's great about this statement? Is it captures the tension of what we're wrestling with in this series on the mortification of sin, the tension of positional righteousness. I'm a saved sinner. But the reality is practical sanctification that I need to embrace. Help me to be as holy as it is possible for a saved sinner to be. In other words, we've, we've got work to do. The whole vision behind this Live 12 series has been to help you with this issue of the mortification of sin. Essentially what the mortification of sin is, is not amputation where you cut off the presence of sin. That's something only Jesus can do in glorification, which is what we're longing and waiting for in our future. But it is that during this lifetime we're involved in the atrophy of the flesh. We're starving it, giving it less power, less authority, less credibility in our lives. And the hope and desire is that through the next... Um, this month and through next week that you'll, you'll find a new level of freedom in what it means to walk in righteousness, to walk in holiness, 
to really embrace, Lord, I want to be as holy as it is possible for a saved sinner to be. Our, our mission as a church is to ignite a passion to follow Jesus. But in order to ignite a passion to follow Jesus, you also have to simultaneously extinguish a passion for sin. And so we have to do both at the same time. Justification is a work that God completely does. Sanctification is a work that we participate in, but God is still doing it in and through us. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. What does that mean? It means that the battle with sin is fought on a daily basis with a power not in yourself. There is a strength in the spirit that you have to wage the battle with sin. So you fight it, but friend, you do not fight it alone if you know Jesus. We've been using this summary statement. The battle is within. Daily I must fight. Death comes from sin, killed only by Christ's might. So I've got to be involved. I'm doing the killing, but I'm not doing it alone. So... This idea of this empowerment within me is really good news. But you might wonder, as some of you have asked over the last couple weeks, so how does this actually work? How does God work in me? How is sin actually killed by Christ's might? Or, to take it right out of our text this morning, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? I have a love-hate relationship with that phrase. I love it because it's so beautiful. I hate it because it's so nebulous. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? So today I want to show you the the vital role that the Holy Spirit plays in this battle that we fight. So we're going to talk this morning about the Holy Spirit, empowered within. We're looking at three things. First, what is the power behind this real-life change? And that you'll see is the Holy Spirit. Secondly, why is it important to, to walk in the Spirit? What does Paul say about why this is important for us to think about and practice? And then third, so how do we do it? What, what, what exactly do we do to, to walk in the Spirit? So let's look at these three things this morning. First, what is the power behind this life change? What is the power behind real life change? You know, Galatians 5 is one of the best passages in all the Bible on the Holy Spirit. In fact, one of the reasons that I've loved this series is because I've gotten to preach on some of the best texts in all the Bible. Like last week, Romans 6. This week, Galatians 5. I told one of our staff, if you can't preach on these things, you better just go sell pizzas or something, right? I mean, this is, this is, this is like the beautiful nuggets of God's Word. Galatians 5 is a signature text in regards to what the Holy Spirit is all about. Look at the following verses and see if you can discover some things about the role of the Holy Spirit. Listen carefully to words that are repeated. Verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And then I want to add one more, Romans 5.18, which says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Here's some patterns in there. Of course, you heard the word Spirit all the time, right? What other words did you hear? Words like... By, right? And words like with, fruit of the Spirit. These are all important words, words that relate to what Paul is trying to say here. It essentially means this, that everything related to our spiritual life, everything related to your spiritual maturity is directly connected to the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me, there is nothing that happens in your life that magnifies and glorifies Christ that is absent of the power and the role of the Spirit of the risen Christ. 
This Holy Spirit is so essential. That's why Paul says we are to walk by the Spirit. We are to be led by the Spirit. We're to live by the Spirit. We're to put the death, the deeds of the body by the Holy Spirit. We're to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the means, the agent, the power by which spiritual progress happens. So listen to me. And put it very clearly, there is no power for life change apart from the Holy Spirit. He is that important. He's that important. I don't know what your perspective is on the Holy Spirit, but often the Holy Spirit is um, not very well understood, especially by those of us in conservative evangelicalism. Understanding who he is and what he does is vital, though, to our ability to walk by, be led by, live by, put to death the deeds of the body by the Holy Spirit. So we need to just think a moment about, so who is, what is the Holy Spirit? A couple things. First, you need to know that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune Godhead. He is not a thing. He is not a force. He's not a feeling or an idea. The Holy Spirit is a person. And he is fully God. J.I. Packer in that book, Keeping Step with the Spirit, says this, The Holy Spirit is said to hear, speak, witness, convince, glorify Christ, lead, guide, teach, command, forbid, desire, groan, give speech, give help, give help, and intercede for Christians with inarticulate groans, himself crying to God in their prayers. The Holy Spirit can be lied to and he can be grieved. The Holy Spirit is a person, friends. He's, he's here today. And we need His help to even understand this text as I prayed as we began the sermon. Secondly, His role is vital to the mission of God through the Gospel. His ministry at this time or in any time of Christian, in the Christian era is to mediate the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you could summarize, what is the Holy Spirit's role? His role is essentially to mediate the presence of Christ. He's to mediate the presence of Christ in your life and in this church. He's to mediate that through lots of means, means of grace, means of growth. And next week we're going to talk about those, the spiritual disciplines. In the Old Testament, the Spirit was actively involved in things like creation, Genesis chapter 1. He was involved in revealing God's truth, teaching God's people. Holy Spirit was involved in calling God's people to respond to Him. And He was also involved in empowering God's leaders. In the New Testament, the Spirit takes on a a very specific role as it relates to the ministry of Christ. Think, for instance, of the moment in His baptism when He's in the waters and the heavens open and the Spirit of God descends like a dove and then God speaks and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It is the anointing of Christ with the Spirit that commissions Him to this ministry that He has on the earth. In fact, often in the Gospels it says Jesus being led by the Spirit or Jesus spoke by the Spirit. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Even in Matthew chapter 4, He was led by the Spirit to be tempted in the wilderness. So there's a sense in which Jesus' ministry is empowered by the Spirit. As well, did you know that it was the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead? Romans 8.11. This text not only tells us about Jesus' resurrection, but also links the Spirit of Christ to the Spirit that we have within us. Listen to what Paul says. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. See what he's saying? He's saying, within you, if you know Christ as your Savior, you've repented of your sins, you've asked Christ to be your Savior and Lord, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, if you have that Spirit within you, it is the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And Paul says, this is the same Spirit that will give life to your mortal bodies. Spiritual life, spiritual power. The third aspect relates to the Spirit's role in our individual lives. You need to know that When you came to faith in Christ, it was the Spirit who was doing that. The moment when you understood the Gospel, when the blinders came off, your eyes saw the beauty of Christ, and you ran to Christ, you decided to follow Jesus, that wasn't you on your own. That was the Spirit of God moving. You could have heard a hundred sermons, and all of a sudden one stuck. Why did it stick? Because the Spirit of the living Christ, bang, opened your eyes. 
It is the spirit that's involved in the new birth. John chapter 3, we're born not of blood nor of water. We're born of the spirit. It's the spirit that's involved in uniting us to Christ in his death and resurrection like we talked about last week from Romans chapter 6. And then once you're converted, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. It is the personal presence of Christ to give us the empowerment that we need. In fact, Ephesians 1 tells us that this Spirit that's put in you is the mark of ownership of God on you. It's that God puts the Spirit down as a down payment of what is yet to come. That the Spirit of the risen Christ dwells within you, lives within you, brings conviction within you, informs you of what the Word says in order so that you might know that you are indeed one of His. God not only does that individually, friends, He does it corporately. The book of 1 Corinthians tells us that we are all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks or slave or free, all were made to drink of one Spirit. So while we may have different backgrounds, we may have different socioeconomic status, we may have different educational um, backgrounds in our past. We may come from different races. We may come from different cultures. The thing that unites this church is the Spirit of the risen Christ. What makes us friends is not because you're so sweet and I'm so nice, because we know those things are not true. What unites us, well, you're nice, I'm not. So the, the reality is what unites us is the Spirit of the risen Christ. What brings us together from very different backgrounds and different experiences, even though we see the world differently, we sing songs together, we hear the Word of God together, we do ministry together. Why, why does that happen? Answer, because of the Spirit of the risen Christ. It is the thing that the world should look at and go, what in the world? How do you people get along? The answer is, it's the Spirit of the risen Christ. So He puts us all into one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 But there's even more. Do you know what the Spirit's goal is? This is glorious. Take your copy of God's Word. You must see this in your copy. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Whether it's digital or print, go there. This must be marked by virtue of a highlight, a tweet, a flag, a pen, a marker, your blood, whatever. Just mark it. 2 Corinthians 3.18. What is the Spirit's mission? This is the Spirit's mission. And let me tell you what it is, and then I'll show it to you. It is to make us individually and corporately more and more transformed into the likeness and image of Jesus. What is the Spirit's goal? It is to make us more and more like Jesus individually and corporately. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That is a glorious text, and here's why. Because we are all being transformed into the same image. You know who that image is? That is the image of Jesus. So the things that Pastor Joe and Pastor Andrew just talked about, you know why we do those things? Well, we have College Park Institute, want to teach you how to be able to use the Bible to to counsel people and even shepherd your own soul. You know why we have those things? You know why we have kids in ministry right now with wonderful workers who are teaching them doctrine and teaching them the Bible? You know why we have those things? We have those things, friends, so that you can be more like Jesus incrementally. Every Sunday, every week, month after month, year after year, over a lifetime. Our mission, our aim is to make you more and more like Jesus a little bit at a time so that the composite of all of that is we're collectively growing into this beautiful, glorious image that looks like Jesus Christ. And how does that happen? The Spirit does that. So we are being transformed into the same image. We all have the same goal. It is to be conformed to the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Spirit. So God is on a mission here to rescue us from our sin, not only in the future, but God's aim is to rescue us from our sin even now. Understand that, friends. Our goal here is to help you to be righteous. Our goal is not for you to come to church and be comfortable, have your needs met, 
figure out how to solve problems, and be happy. Our goal is to help you to be holy, which then results in you knowing how to solve problems and then being happy. But you must have holiness or you will not have happiness. Our goal, our aim, is to ignite within you a passion to follow Jesus as you simultaneously extinguish a passion to follow sin. Why? Because that is God's mission on this earth. And He's given us the Spirit of the risen Christ to accomplish it. He personally empowers every believer to become more and more like Jesus. So it is the Spirit who is actively involved in this process of mortification that leads to sanctification. So just think of this, that the power for real life change comes from the intimate intervention of a person of the Godhead whose mission is to save you and then seal you and secure you and sanctify you. And he is on that mission even today. This sermon, this Sunday, the songs you've sung, the scripture references you've heard, the visualization of sin going away and becoming righteous, all of that is a part of a process incrementally, one Sunday at a time, one day, one devotional moment, one quiet time, one prayer time, one scripture verse at a time where you memorize it, one good deed done, one gift that's given out of a generous heart. All of those things add up to an incremental process of you looking like Jesus. It's unbelievable. The Spirit's mission is to glorify Christ by creating Christ's glory in you. His mission is to glorify Christ by creating Christ's glory in you. And that's why we have the Word of God. That's why we have the Spirit of God. I was in some meetings the last uh, couple of days, and a friend of mine in, who's in ministry said, she was a business leader who was in, in um, business as ministry, said to me, hey, Did you ever read the Old Testament and think, man, I wish I could have a revelation from God like David had? You know, he's approaching a battle and God goes, no, no, don't go left, go right. Wouldn't you love to have God speak to you like that? And I smiled at him and I said, you know, I smiled at him and I said, you know what? I bet if David could answer that question, he'd say this. What are you, crazy? You have the full disclosure of God to mankind. You have everything that you need for life and godliness. You have the full story from Genesis to Revelation. You know about Christ. And you have the Holy Spirit that lives within you. You want to know right flank, left flank? I'll take the Bible and the Spirit. Is that how you feel about God? Is that how you feel about His words? Is that how you feel about the Spirit? Because, friends, you have been given something, if you know Christ, that is an incredible deposit that's available for your spiritual enrichment, for your spiritual formation. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory, through His Word, through His Spirit, and through a number of spiritual disciplines that we'll talk about next week. So, this is the Holy Spirit. Secondly, I want to answer this question. So why is walking in the Spirit so important? Why is it important? Galatians 5 gives us these reasons, and there's three of them. Here's the first one. The first reason this is important is because it is how you defeat the desires of the flesh. I mean, verse 16 says this very clearly. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and notice what comes next, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I mean, it's there's a promise here. In fact, verse 17 tells us that the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The Spirit is against the flesh, and these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And so Paul shows us what the conflict is, and, but then in verse 16 he says, but if you want to be righteous, if you want to win this battle, you must walk by the Spirit. So how do you win the battle with the flesh? How do you stop sinning? How do you get free? Answer, walk by the Spirit. I'll explain what that means in a moment, but just realize here, friends, that's a promise. Right? That's a promise. You walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So th- the problem with, with some believers is that they believe their experience over against what the Word of God says. They, they, they see how many times they've, they've fallen, and so they don't believe when the Bible says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh they look at their own life like, nah, I'd rather believe my experience than believe what the Bible says. So the reason this is important is because this is how you defeat the desires of the flesh. So if you want to be free, you want to be free from some sins in your life, listen, you got to learn how to walk by the Spirit. A new book, a new counselor, uh, a new program, um, a, a new sermon series, it's not going to work unless you learn to walk by the Spirit. 
Secondly, the text also tells us that this is how true obedience is produced. Verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So this is how true obedience is produced. He says you are not under the law. What does that mean? Well, you might look at this phrase and think that walking by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit are two different things. They're not. They're just two sides of the same coin. Being led by the Spirit refers to the dynamic of where you are as a result of walking. So you walk by the Spirit, and as a result of this walking, you're being led by the Spirit, and the effect of that is that you are not under the law. The whole book of Galatians is essentially about this beautiful concept that we live our life as Christians by promise, not performance. Some of you, that is a watershed category you need to get into your brain that your worth, your value, your whole Christian life experience is not based on your performance. It's based upon promise. You're a promise person, not a performance person. And oh, by the way, you live in a performance world. So promise, you live by promise. Paul says this, did you receive the Spirit, this is Galatians 3, 2, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And the answer was, oh, by the hearing of faith. He then says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you being perfected by the flesh? In other words, so if you began this work by the Spirit, then you think you're going to become righteous by your own strength? So what's he saying here? What he's saying is that the Spirit is not only in contrast to the flesh, but he's saying that the Spirit is in contrast to the law. And verse 18 essentially says that when you are led by the Spirit, when you walk by the Spirit, listen, you are pursuing obedience that is beyond what the law could ever produce. In other words, the Spirit creates a new internal law which was promised in the Old Testament regarding the new covenant. Ezekiel 36 says this, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. How? By putting my spirit within you. Friends, that text is fulfilled now. Being led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, are the means by which real obedience is produced in your life and mine. See, the Spirit not only frees us from the the fear of condemnation from the law, like Romans 8, 4 says, but it also now produces something beautiful within you. It produces godly desires, such that the commands of God are not just now narrowly obeyed, now the commands of God are a joy to keep. And in so doing, you've grown up. Any parent knows this. Any kid who's been in any home, a child and parent both know the same thing. Strict obedience based upon what mom and dad say are one thing. But it's another when kids out of their joy of their heart say, I would, it would be my honor, mother, (laughs) to unload the dishwasher for you. And mom's like, it's a miracle, right? It's just like, whoo! The Spirit of God has come. I mean, it's revival in our home. Why? Because Johnny wants to unload the dishwasher. Now, why is that so remarkable? Because we know in and of ourselves, we have to be told what to do and, and, and cajoled to do something right. We have to be fined and threatened. And when the Spirit of the living Christ comes, suddenly now there is joy to keep His commandments. You see things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And there's a desire. I want to be that. I want to be like Jesus. That thought, that feeling, that desire, friends, did it never came from you. That comes from the Spirit of the risen Christ. The Spirit frees us from the condemnation of external obedience. And He frees us to make obedience a delight. Walking in the Spirit creates true obedience. Third, reason this is important is because the Spirit creates good fruit rather than fleshly works. This is where, where it gets really practical and personal. I mean, you heard the, the list, right, that Pastor Andrew read, the difference between the flesh and the Spirit. Did, did you just sense, when he was even reading that, again, I was just struck by, you hear those those awful words, and it just feels, as he was reading them, just like, boom, boom, 
Boom. Because each one of those words, you, you know the consequences in our culture. You know the consequences in people's lives. The works of the flesh are obvious. They're evident. Sexual immorality. Boom. Impurity. Boom. Sensuality. Boom. Idolatry. Boom. Sorcery. Enmity. Strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Haven't you had enough of these? These are obviously bad. And then Paul adds this warning. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Hear me. Friends, you need to hear that verse. Because we live in a culture that says that things like sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality and strife and rivalries and dissensions and divisions, that's just the way life is. And the reality is, you, you, you can't be there for your life and know that you're a child of God. You can't. Why? It's simple. Because if you are indwelt with the Spirit of Christ, you cannot continue in these things. doesn't mean that a believer doesn't ever fall or fall terribly, but what it means is this. It means that you're a spirit person. You have the Spirit of the risen Christ inside of you. You can't keep doing this. You can't. And if you can, then it's just a big sham. You've tasted, but you've not seen You've heard, but you've not internalized. You pretend, but you're not real. The core of what Paul is driving at is that you, as a spirit person, you fight against these things because you want to. And it is beautiful when, when instead of those things, the fruit of the Spirit comes out. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, Self-control. Paul says, against such there is no law. And you know what we need, friends? We need an army of people who name the name of Christ who bear the fruit of the Spirit instead of participating in the works of the flesh. This last weekend, a friend of mine and a guy well-known around here at College Park Church, Pastor Steve DeWitt up in Crown Point, he's a great pastor in a wonderful church, um, got married. He was... 40-some years old, and maybe you've been around here for a while and been kind of waiting and praying for Steve with his ability to get married and find the right person. And God brought the right, wonderful person into his life. And there was an article that he wrote, and it was featured in a number of uh, Christian blogs about being a bachelor pastor. And his last sermon as a single pastor was incredible. I would encourage you to read it. He talked about the value and the priority of sexual purity. And he talked about it from a standpoint of his, his own um, purity and the purity of his fiance. And I said to my wife last night, you know, it's sad that a 40-year-old man and um, however old she is, his fiance, that their purity would be almost an odd thing in our culture. Even within Christendom. It's almost completely abnormal. And what is wrong with us that that's abnormal? So in the midst of all the culture that says normal things are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, divisions, dissension, envy, drunkenness, orgies, that's the normal things. It's the believers of Jesus Christ who say, no, 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 no. That's not normal for spirit-indwelt people. Paul says when this is born out in a believer's life, there is no law. Why? Because the Spirit fulfills the law, loving God, loving one another. So do you see how important all this is, friends? We have to walk by the Spirit. Now some of you are thinking, okay, well that's great, Mark. You haven't even told us what that is yet. It's come. I promise you. I'm getting there. But what I want you to know, though, is there's something valuable about just talking about this subject, even beyond knowing specifically what's involved. Just to get it on your radar screen is really important because so often we forget about the power of the Holy Spirit. 
It, it's, it's natural and normal in our culture to think that sin and disobedience are natural and normal. And then in the midst of all of this sort of cultural, all these cultural lies that we hear, Galatians 5.16 comes in and says, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So part of the strategy of walking in the Spirit is to know and be reminded that you can walk in the Spirit. As a husband, I hear Ephesians call me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And I find that the more I study and learn about Christ, the better I am able to fulfill that command. I don't need a long to-do list, like 45 things that the best husbands do. I don't want that list. I questioned its source anyways. I think some women got in a dark room and said, here's what we're going to do. So even if that list came out, I'd be like, I know where that came from. I know this deal. You know what I need? I need to behold the beauty of Christ. You want to be a good husband? Young men, looking towards marriage, you want to be a man who's fit to love a wife? Hear this word, love your wife, prepare your heart to love a woman as Christ has loved the church. So you understand what it means to walk and love by listening to what it means for the Spirit to empower us. All right. Finally, what does it mean to walk by or in the Spirit? What does this actually mean? And and let me give you a caution. The caution is that I'm going to try and define this for you, but in doing so, there's a danger that you could treat this even like it's a list. I do these four things, I'm good. Paul said, walk in the Spirit. He didn't say, do these things and you're all set. And there's a tendency within all of us to like this little list-based sanctification model. Kevin DeYoung, another book we're featuring in our resource area, has a book called The Hole in Our Holiness, filling the gap between gospel passion and the pursuit of godliness. Here's what he says. It's all too easy to turn the fight of faith into sanctification by checklist. Take care of a few bad habits, develop a couple good ones, and you're set. A moral checklist doesn't take into consideration the idols of the heart. It may may not even have the gospel as part of the equation. And inevitably, checklist spirituality is highly selective. So you end up feeling successful at sanctification because you stayed away from drugs, lost weight, served at the soup kitchen, and renounced styrofoam. (laughs) But you've ignored gentleness, humility, joy, and sexual purity. So friends, be careful. So let me try my best. Here's my definition. Walking in the Spirit is a Spirit-dependent way of life that involves believing the promises of God, choosing to do what's right, and thanking God for the result. Again, it is a Spirit-dependent way of life that involves believing the promises of God, choosing to do what is right, and thanking God for the result. Let's pick this apart. So it's a spirit-dependent way of life. We've already talked about this, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Just to remind you, the setup to this definition is that the spirit is the active agent. And when you agree with this, you are agreeing with what Jesus said in John chapter 15, when he said, apart from me, you can do a few things. Apart from me, you can do good things. What did he say? Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we start this understanding of a, of a walking in the Spirit by realizing that this is a Spirit-dependent relationship. Positively, it means something wonderful, that you have an unbelievable power. You have an unbelievable authority within you. You have the very presence of the living Christ to help you, to guide you, to convict you, to convince you, to comfort you, and to empower you. So use Him for all He's worth. Spirit-dependent. Secondly, a way of life. Paul uses the word walk. Walk. Greek, it's peripatomen. It comes from a Jewish understanding of everyday life 
and is Paul's most common word to talk about ethical behavior. So essentially what he's saying when you put these two thoughts together, it means that you're to do all the things that are part of your life, but you are to do them in a way that fits with the power of the Spirit. So the idea is you're walking along in life and you're doing everything everybody else is doing in the world. You're going to work, you're raising kids, you're driving around, you're eating at McDonald's, you're, you're, you're visiting your doctor because you ate at McDonald's, you're doing all these things. You're, all these things are going on and in the meantime you are walking by the Spirit. So it's everyday life that's going on. The word walk is an all-encompassing term. It, it implies action, it implies activity. You could think of it um, like another term. Grocery shopping. So what do you do when you go grocery shopping? What does the word grocery shopping mean? It means a lot of things like comparing prices, selecting the right foods, packing the cart, unpacking the cart. So my wife and I were out grocery shopping uh, this week, and we were just laughing at all that's required in a grocery shopping experience. Especially if you go to Aldi. First... You have to find a quarter. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you just, you just go to Aldi and you'll see exactly what I mean. So here's what you have to do. You have to find a quarter, get a cart, put the groceries in the cart, then take them to the belt, watch then as the cash register clerk puts them back in your cart, then you take them out of the cart, put them into bags, put them back in the cart, put them in your car, then you take them home, then you put them in the house, you unpack the bags on the counter, and then you put them back in the fridge. And then someone else gave me two more. And while you're at Aldi, you have to take your cart back and get your quarterback, right? So that's like 16 steps right there, right? That's, that's why grocery shopping is exhausting, because there's so many steps, especially when you go to Aldi. So... The point is, is that there's so much in the term grocery shopping. Same thing, friends, there's so much in the term walk. It just means you do what you do in life, but you do it empowered by the Spirit. So you walk, you live, you live, but you live it so differently. Next, the definition is that you believe the promises of God. So as I told you before, sin offers you promises. And the gospel triumphs over sin by giving you two incredible things. The gospel triumphs over sin by first giving you greater promises to believe in and secondly giving you the empowerment to believe those promises by the Holy Spirit. So God has given you two unbelievable gifts. Promises to believe and the power to believe them. It's beautiful. Walking by the Spirit means that you see the promises of God and then you believe them. You might say, well, like what? Well, for instance, when anger comes across, you believe this promise. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You believe that promise. For lust, you believe the promise. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Your choice is this. You want to see porn, or you want to see God? It's that simple. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's a promise. For pride, likewise, you who are younger, clothe yourselves in humility, all of you. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When you think, if I'm a humble here, they're going to roll right over me. Not when God gives you grace. For anxiety, you're a little worried about things, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Or for hopelessness, like, I can't do this, this is impossible. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with the temptation He will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You see, what you have to be, friends, is a promise collector. you got to collect promises. You go to the Word, you see a promise, you collect them. You get in your Bible, you dig, you search, you cling to these promises. Oh, and by the way, the, the first time you come to faith in Christ is when you believe the first promise in the Bible, which is this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to those that believe in his name. That's how you come. That's how you fight sin in the first place. Next, we have to choose to do what is right. 
With all this talk about empowerment and dependence upon the Spirit, you might think that we simply have to let go and let God, but nothing could be further from the truth. Sin is conquered when you and I take tangible, specific action steps. After we have appealed to the Spirit for His empowerment, after we have thrown ourselves on His promises, after we believe that He can help us, we then have to act and act decisively. So listen to me. This is hard work. Christianity is not some sort of just, I know I'm going where I, I know where I go where I die, so I'm all set. This is war. And this means it is hard work to get up early and read your Bible. It is hard work to spend time in prayer. It is hard work to reduce your standard of living so you can give. It is hard work to be able to do acts of kindness. It is hard work in order to respond rightly when people are mean and rude and unkind. It is difficult. It is hard. But at the end of the day, it is worth it. But this is what Christianity is. It is that we are to work out our own salvation. The problem in your life and the reason why sin is still so much a part of your life is because every day you're choosing to follow it when you don't have to. You have a choice. You're not alone in this fight. And then finally, where does all this end? It ends that we thank God for the result. So this is so beautiful. Where does mortification of sin lead? What is produced through sanctification? What happens? What's the effect of the fruit of the Spirit? We know that everything that is happening within us wouldn't be there without God's help. There would be no fruit. There would be no victories. There would be no freedom without the Spirit of the risen Christ. When you walk in the Spirit and when you don't desire, when you, when you don't fulfill the desires of the flesh, it is then that you know, oh my word, it is God who is at work in me. And when you have this happen, you see, wow, it is Christ in me, the hope of glory. You know that what you believe is real. It creates gratitude in your heart that you know God wouldn't have any of this without you. You know that it's God who's doing this in you. Seeing this in your own soul births a renewed sense of confidence. God, you work. You're real. Your word is powerful. Your promises can believe, can be believed. And the assurance that in effect you are the real deal. Sin has the opposite effect. It assaults your confidence in God. And it assaults your confidence in who you really are. So what, I, what I'm longing for today is for us as a church to learn what it means to walk in the Spirit. Not, not just that you would learn not to fulfill the desires of the flesh. I surely want that to happen, but there's even more here that I'm wanting. What I long for, when you fulfill this sentence, when you live a Spirit-dependent way of life that involves believing the promises of God, choosing to do what's right, and thanking God for the result, when this happens... It is amazing what happens to people's joy. I'm not just arguing this because sin is bad. I'm, that's true. I am arguing this because I want you to be happy in God. I don't want you to settle for cheesy, worthless sins when you can have the ultimate beauty of all of what God is for you in Christ. When your heart is full of the love of God, the Spirit has accomplished His purpose on earth. Incremental change of glory. So brothers and sisters, for the sake of what it means to be free from sin, for the sake of what kind of fruit could be produced in us, for the sake of what confidence it will give to your faith, for the sake of the message of this church in the community, friends, be holy. Kill sin. Walk by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Say along with Robert Murray McChain, Lord, make me as holy as it is possible for a saved sinner to be. Make me holy. Would you stand together? We're going to sing together as we end. I'm going to lead you. We're going to sing a cappella. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me, melt me, mold me, fill me, and use me. And here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to give you a straight-up invitation to come down here. And here's who I want up here this morning. After we're done singing, I'm going to pray for those who would come. And those who would come, this invitation specifically is for you who would say, God, I want to be holy, and I want to take it more seriously than I am right now. 
whether you're up in the stadium, whether you're here in the bowl, as we sing together, Spirit of the living God, think what we're singing, fall afresh on me. And as some of you today who is coming out from the seats, it's not going to be the end-all, be-all, but it's going to be a start. For some of you, it's the start to say, enough. Enough already. I want to choose to believe these promises and be grateful for what you're doing in my life. And so as we sing, we're just going to sing one verse together. So you got to come and come quickly. Do not wait. Come immediately and just kneel here and say, God, I'm here because I want to be as holy as it is possible for a saved sinner to be. And right now, that's not as seriously taken in my soul as what it needs to be. Let's sing together as you come. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. And Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Melt me and mold me. Melt me, mold me, fill me and use me, fill me, use me, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on Oh, Holy Spirit, that's what I long for, for my dearly beloved people. And for these, my brothers and sisters who've come today, recognizing that this issue of being holy needs to be taken more seriously. I thank you for their courage, for their commitment. And I pray that this first step that they've taken in humility would be blessed by you with more grace to obey with more grace to defeat sin, with more grace to say, I will cherish the promises of God, I will believe Your Word, and I will act decisively. And then when You do it, God, we're going to thank You. We're celebrating even today what You do in our lives, but even more so what You're going to do. And so we come today and asking for a fresh filling of the Spirit, more control, more ownership, more empowerment, and that You would make our church, this church, a body that is known for its righteousness and how we've walked by the Spirit. And so we come today and are asking for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Those of you who are kneeling, you're welcome just to stay and pray or leave whenever you're ready to go. God bless you, Couch Park. I love you. Thanks for coming today.